Ladies and gentlemen, happy Riley Friday to all who celebrate. And in our world, it's a lot who celebrate. Riley Davis is in the house. It's a big weekend for Riley on his personal life and in his professional life. He's got a big event coming up this weekend. So for Riley Davis to carve out an hour on a Thursday night for Sleepers Nation, this might be his greatest sacrifice yet. Riley, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Like you, uh, like you mentioned, big weekend for me with my day job uh, in the campus ministry world. We have a, a conference this weekend or a retreat for a bunch of students. And fun fact, Greg actually came up with the name for this conference. So helped me a lot with the marketing, which I've been working on the social media promotion for this. So about to culminate with that. But before I, I left for the weekend, I had to, you know, get a little Bluffs Friday action in, talk some college hoops uh, and fill in for Carter Elliott, who we, we've heard is load managing. Something like that. So I was going to do my best to just not acknowledge that he wasn't here the whole show and see how long I could go with that. But of course, it's fitting. We could only make it 60 seconds without uh, speaking to the fact that our star is not with us tonight. In a stunning tribute to Doug McDaniel not playing away games, Carter Elliott is now not going to play odd-numbered weekday podcast episodes. So I don't know what that means. Uh, I told him when he texted me this, I said, there aren't numbers in the days. So like, like, what do you mean by like, is Monday one and then Friday's five? I think that's what he means, but Carter's not a math guy. We're not a math podcast. So I don't know. All I know is he's not here. Riley stepped in on it's much appreciated. Carter might be back Monday or he might not. Who knows? This might just be the new lay of the land. We might have a Greg Waddell uh, radio show again on Monday. So we'll see. Since Carter's not here though, Riley, we don't have a YouTube comment of the day. Unless you want to make one up and or look one up. So the floor is yours. You have to play the Carter role. What's your YouTube comment of the day? All right. Give me a second. I will be I will be a man of integrity and look one up. But I want to I want to talk a little bit about Chips Ahoy and, and and Carter. Obviously, that's been a huge topic of conversation this week. What's funny is I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this on the show, but Greg and I are both huge Chips Ahoy fans. Mm. That would be, would you say that's like a go-to like snack, go-to treat? Like if you're, if you happen to be at a gathering and someone breaks out some like Oreos, some Cheez-It crackers, uh, not Cheez-Its, important distinction. They're only, it's a singular name, some Cheez-It crackers, some Oreos, some Chips Ahoy, like maybe some Bugles. Like if you're getting like a blend of salty and sweet, uh, how how far down the list do you make it before you decide to pick up some some Chips Ahoy? So first of all, Bugles is crazy that that got the inclusion on that list right there. No disrespect to Bugles. Like there's a time and a place for a Bugle, but in like a, hey, we're having people over, honey, can you go grab a couple salty sweet snacks for the table? Bugles should not ever be in consideration. Uh, All the others that you mentioned should though. I've been a big advocate through the years, Riley, of how versatile goldfish are. Um, you know, I, I think there's a variety of ways you could go with those. You got the flavor blast variety. Certainly the OG mm. goldfish are special. I am a biggest proponent of the colorful goldfish. I think they have more salt, a little more texture to them. Uh, mm. and my best pairing, sometimes I think it's like a good, like wine and cheese pairing with a little snack pairing. I like to pair goldfish with chunky chips, Ahoy cookies, try it out one time, give yourself a little uh, paper plate, Maybe three, four Chunky Chips Ahoy, just a handful of the colorful goldfish. You can't go wrong. That actually, that sounds like an elite combination. I think goldfish was a great pull. They definitely would would get the get the nod over bugles. My like hottest take might be, I think, original goldfish kind of smack. Like mm. just the salted ones that aren't even cheese that are literally just like fish-shaped saltine crackers, something about those. They're very nostalgic for me. Love those. Love the pretzel goldfish. Uh Flavor blasted, in my opinion, is also a different level. Like flavor blasted, flavor blasted completely smokes the original. No knock on the original, but I just think flavor flavor blasted is incredible. I'm with you. I like the original for the record. I grew up on those. Uh, as again, as my palate uh, grew and evolved, that's when the additional flavors started coming in. But you can't beat them. You can't beat originals. And I do have a YouTube comment of the day as we've been uh, talking about the world of Nabisco. Um, on the, on the ones from yesterday's show, a lot of people were going to bat for you that the only way to eat rice is with a spoon. Mm, nice. Love to hear that. I'm kind of, I'm there's literally like five comments on that yesterday's YouTube video saying that that's, that's the way to go. I don't think I've ever really 
tried it with a spoon. Um, I like when I'm when I'm feeling when I'm feeling especially cultured. I like to go with chopsticks, especially if it's an Asian meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, never never been. Um, I've been on Team Fork when it comes to rice. Maybe I'll have yeah. to give it a spin. I, no, no disrespect to the fork community with this either, um, and certainly not any any sort of you know cultural uh, utensils that you should use for cultural based dishes. But for me, uh, I I've never understood the practicality of chopsticks. Like I have um, some Vietnamese in laws, and we've spent a good amount of time with them playing board games and stuff like that. And I have been trained like this is how you're supposed to do it. I've never really understood how. I think I'm just bad at it. But uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, or not weeks ago, I'm sorry, a couple years ago, uh, wife and I always, for Valentine's Day, we always order chicken fried rice. That's a tradition and where one of us goes and picks it up. And uh, I had picked it up just in the little carton, and we each get our own carton because it's a special holiday. We get our own. We don't split. And last year, maybe two years ago, I was like, you know what? I just need a big spoon for this. So I grabbed one of the larger spoons that we have in the drawer. And it was so much easier to eat. It was a way more enjoyable experience. I housed it in about seven minutes. Normally, chicken fried rice is about a 20-minute dish for me to mm, work on. That's fair. Only seven yeah. minutes with a spoon. And I haven't gone back. Now, when we pull out the Uncle Ben's just with a, a homemade dish, you can't do four because you lose the morsels, Riley. You lose the morsels. I also want to say, as we're discussing your your eating habits and continuing our food dialogue that's really characterized this show for like the past three days – uh, talking about baked spaghetti that when you were talking about that, that was like the most Midwest thing I've ever heard of. I don't <laughs> That's not <laughs> like a thing no in your parts. No, I don't think anyone in the South eats baked spaghetti. Maybe any sort of baked no pasta, one. anything like a baked ziti, any sort of baked, oh, baked ziti, I guess is, I guess baked, baked ziti is probably the only one I've had. I've never really heard of like when I hear like a baked chicken pasta, like you were talking about, I think of like a pasta casserole, which feels very like Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana to me. Got it. Okay. Uh, for the record, not a casserole guy in general. Although this I'm not a casserole guy either. I hate casseroles. This essentially is a pasta casserole, and now I'm rethinking everything because baked lasagnas or baked spaghetti has been one of my favorite dishes lately. So, all right. Uh, well, thank you for grinding our way through the YouTube comment of the day. I appreciate that. Uh, if Carter were here, he would have probably been violent and chosen one of the roughly 74 negative Purdue comments that we got on the Matt Painter press conference video. So uh, Purdue fans, don't worry. We'll address you at some point next week when our violent friend returns to the show. Let's move to the Discord. There's a link to join the Discord in the description. Uh, as we mentioned earlier this week, Evan Miyakawa joined. Shout out Evan Mia. He's been, uh, he already spun up a fun game that we're playing where uh, I don't want to give too much away because I think he might roll it into his site one day. Mm-hmm. But we have like a, a very private game that members of the Discord are playing for free right now. It's competitive. You pick players and teams. And uh, Evan Miyakawa is running all of it. So if you want to interact with Evan Mia and the Sleepers and others, join the Discord. It's $9.99 a month. It's the number one way to support us. And we read your comments every single day, which is where we start today with Travis Nelson, who says, I really enjoy the football previews. You guys do a good job, so don't just, quote, stick to basketball. He says, I'm a Cowboys fan growing up three hours from Green Bay, so there's a lot of Packers fans in the UP. They've haunted me for years, and I'm terrified of this game because of it. However, if you switch the jerseys, I'm not afraid at all. Riley, you have football in your blood. Are you happy that we're branching out into football on this program? Yes, I am, and it's something that I hope to contribute to both now and in the future. Okay, we might have to get in touch with your agent, Mr. Davis. Uh, Boomfizzle79 says, what are your general thoughts on post-game press conferences for both coaches and players? Do you think they provide meaningful insight into game performance and strategic thinking, or do you think they're merely a platform for drama and social media fodder? Riley, what do you think? Hmm, that's a great question. Who asked that? That was Boomfizzle? This was Boomfizzle. Excellent, excellent question. I Personally, like, uh, I love the the UNC games and the Duke games that I've covered. You get really nice access to the players at Carolina. You're in like this little room that's connected to the locker room. And at, at Duke, you're, you get to go in the locker room and just basically go up to players and talk to them. And I feel like a lot of times they're pretty candid. Um, if you ask good questions, like you're not going to get a ton of cliches. And what's nice about that too is when the crowds die down, you can sort of do a little bit of networking, get to know players better. Um, that's part of the fun of it. Like, cause I, I mean, I guess I won't even hide my agenda. I would love to get any UNC players on my podcast one day. So that's sort of why, like why I like to do that. Coaching press conferences. 
Uh, for me, like after becoming a father and not being able to stay at games as late anymore, if I'm in a rush, I always dip out before the coach press conferences. Cause I think like, you're not, they, I feel like 95% of college basketball coaches are never going to completely, I'm not, not even completely, like won't even partially show their hand or tip their hat to how they're actually feeling. Like, I mean, maybe you get, you get the occasional drama, but for the most part, um, you know, there are plenty of coaches who are charismatic enough to work the room and like be entertaining in press conferences, but it's not like there are very few press conferences. And this is from like Carolina games, Duke games, uh, NCAA tournament games that I've covered, like that I left being like, oh, this is a must use quote for like a, an article or a story I'm going to write. Yeah, I think that's great insight, first of all. And I uh, can say that I've experienced many similar things to what you have. Um, I think. It's very, very, very rare that I think anyone who attends a, a formal press conference post game comes away feeling like they got the golden ticket. Like, mm -hmm. it, I, I don't think you ever really know what you're doing. There's certain people there with agendas. Uh, I would add there's people there for for like media days at the beginning of the season. Like there there are people there to file a story on something they've already planned what the topic's going to be. And so they ask leading questions, trying to get the coaches to give them their answer at the end of the bait they already stuck out for the coach. And it's kind of, it's interesting to watch just because like Carter and I, we don't write for anybody. Like we're not going to take quotes from these post-game press conferences and do anything with them other than maybe live tweet them or post a video. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like it's almost been entertaining for us. And a takeaway has been like with be, with us being the people that we feel like have no agenda at things like this, it's really funny to step back and watch the others operate and compete for it. Um, what I will say, the the value that I've seen from any of that stuff after games is in a locker room setting or in like a back hallway. Like at the Big Ten tournament, there's this huge tunnel and goes around the entire arena. There's all these offices. There's rooms where they have food and complimentary drinks for anybody who's working the game. And um, if you just camp out in the tunnel, like it, mm -hmm. people have to walk right through it to get to their locker room. Half the time they're not with the media people. Half the time they're not with their coaches. So Carter and I have had plenty of interactions kind of privately with players and coaches alike in there. It's where I got to interview Chris Holtman last year after Ohio State was winning a couple games. And that led to Chris exchanging some DMs with me in the offseason. So you really can build really nice relationships. And mm -hmm. um, to your point, like, the only time I've ever been in a locker room was after the final four game where UConn beat uh, Miami and Rob Doster dragged me in there, gave me a field of 68 microphone. And I'm like kind of shaking. because I'm looking around starstruck. Rob's like in with his fan program, UConn. And uh, all of a sudden he's like, you want to go ask Donovan Klingon something? So I'm like, yeah. And I go up and I literally like had to wait five minutes, go up. He's seven, three. I'm sticking a microphone straight up to talk to him. <laughs> he's in like a tank top. And uh, I remember I asked him like, which I had thought of for a long time. I was like, you're one of the best shit talkers in the country. And I don't think anyone realizes it yet. Where does that come from? And I think like in a post-game press conference setting, most people would never even acknowledge that. Like if they're mm -hmm. sitting next to their coach, they would just skirt it, say the respectful thing. But Donovan like smirked and lit up. It was like, I get that shit from my dad. Like, it gave me a really colorful <laughs> answer. So I think you can get more there than you can at the podium. And that's a great, great point from you. Yeah. Question yeah. Fizzle. I would say anybody, I'm sure people listen to this who want to get into this space, it's definitely still worth going to those post-game pressers at the podium, get your reps in, like practice asking questions, thinking through good questions. I mean, that I feel like that's a good life skill in general. This might be like uh life lesson time with bluffs. Um, just being able to ask good questions in general is going to bless you in your professional career, your personal life, et cetera. Um, my favorite, the one great podium memory I had was at the NCAA tournament this past year in the first round. Um, I can't even remember the question I asked John Calipari. It had something to do with Sheboy after they beat, who did they beat in the first round? I can't remember if it was Providence, maybe. Yeah, it was. A, they beat Providence in the first round, and Calipari just like literally stared into my eyes. I felt like he was looking into my soul and just gave like the classic Cal answer that won me over. Where I was like, I love this dude. I would run through <laughs> a brick wall for this coach. <laughs> yeah, he was holding your infant, right? Your infant wasn't even there, but that's what Cal does. He goes on a recruiting visit and he's just holding the babies. Like yes. he was holding your metaphorical baby. He's uh, incredible yeah. up front. 
I think our our episodes without Carter, whenever it's just you and I, are going to turn into just life with Riley and Greg. And uh, I think I'm going to enjoy that greatly. I don't know if it's going to be fun to listen to or not, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Boom Fizzle, for the question. That was awesome. Fam says, circling back on my question for bluffs from last week, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, he asked me, uh, is North Carolina in the South and am I a Southerner? I think that was the question. I don't want to botch it. Uh, I said yes to both. Like North Carolina is definitely the South. There are parts of it that are like definitely bougier than what you think of. Like where this is not going to surprise anybody is where the bluffs nickname comes from. Like where I grew up in Charlotte uh, is full of, at least when I was in high school, a lot of dudes who like wear camo and want you to think they're really country, but they show up to school and like lifted F one fifties that like are clearly bought by daddy's money or like some of them show up to school to Range Rover, man. Like, Oh, so there, but I, I still think of, uh, North Carolina as the South, mainly because of the cuisine, the Southern hospitality, the usage of the word y'all, like all of that to me points to the South. And that's basically why I would say I'm a Southerner. Like I, I'm definitely not like a redneck. I hope I never get labeled as that, but, uh, love being from North Carolina and we'll go to bat as it being a great state to live in. No, you're good South. And I, uh, I don't mean to antagonize anyone. I want to be unequivocally clear. I love all parts of this beautiful country, but, uh, yeah, I, you're good South. There's definitely a bad South down there somewhere and you, that's, you are good. South. Fair. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> uh, also shout out to you for remembering that because I said to fam in the discord, I said, can you repeat the question? And he said he should have it on his prep sheet as part of the show. If not, we'll move on. So apparently you did shout out to Riley. Uh, Tristan Freeman says in honor of fam hating the word buddy, what are some nicknames you guys hate to be called for me? It's boy or kiddo. Yeah, those are ugh, cringe, especially kiddo. Um, I, I feel like I have a good list. One of my, <laughs> one of my best friends from Carolina, like kept an ongoing list of these types of names. He would try to work in just to like get under people's skin and slick is my personal favorite. What's up uh -oh. slick. Slick or or cowboy. Those are two. Those are two like just totally cringeworthy ones. Cowboy's crazy. Slick. I don't hate that much if you if you fit it in nicely there. Um, yeah, I'm just taking Tristan's answer. But the only one I've actually been called in real life that became frustrating to me was Buddy, um, or Bud for the shorter alternative version. I had a, a both boss. are terrible. Yeah, I had a boss at my last corporate job, which I loved. I was there for like four four or five years, and um. Had a boss who came on maybe the last year and a half that I was there, who honestly kind of became part of the reason I left. But nice guy, nice enough guy. Just anytime I talk to him, literally, it's like, hey, what's up, bud? How you doing, bud? What's going on, bud? And I'm like, dude, you're like six years older than me. Like, are we really doing this right now? So, and I think he meant it in a nice way, but it was always yeah. a little demeaning to me. I agree. Bud feels has always felt patronizing to me. And like, buddy is definitely like the the that's what you call someone when you want to fake like you're being nice to them or fake like you know them well it's an overly familiar term that like is not actually endearing yeah just can't happen uh okay i think that uh i think that's everything for today yeah that's all the comments today shout out to the discord appreciate all of you for another great week here on the show we turn it over to riley davis with his topics for tonight what do you got riley all right, first one, we're sticking college basketball related. Got to tease it. We will talk some NFL later. Uh, shout out to Travis Nelson. I think he asked that question. First one, though, this was partially inspired by Coy's comment from yesterday saying there are no great teams or is anybody good. But this is this is that time of the year. Like, I promise you every year, mid-January, that whole narrative starts. Like, oh, no great teams, no great teams, no elite teams. Like, for so – I actually believe I want to push back on it. I think there are like up to eight great teams this year. Whoa. I didn't want to set, expect this. I want to set some parameters here. Cause I, I think when people are referring to this, like, I mean, my mind automatically goes back to 2019 when the, the last time the ACC was good, uh, when you had Duke, Virginia and Carolina who all got one seeds. And as I was thinking about those teams, Carolina went 16 and two in the conference and shared the crown with Virginia. Both teams went 16 and two. It was before the 20 game slate. Um, I can't remember how many, what Duke's record was that year. They're probably like, I would guess like 15 and three, 14 and four or something. Um, but yeah, when I think about what makes a great team, I think the, the, the baseline is, can they win a national title? 
Some of that is going to be like informed by metrics. Some of that's going to be informed by the eye test. Can they win their conference by two or more games or in the the realm of that UNC Virginia title split, lose like three games or less in conference play? Uh, and can they get at least one player drafted? So again, looking back to that year, you had Virginia had, I think Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, and DeAndre Hunter all got drafted. Duke obviously had Zion, RJ Barrett. Uh, gosh, who am I forgetting on that team? Trey Jones eventually got drafted to Cam Reddish. And then UNC had Cam Johnson, Nazir Little, Kobe White, who all got drafted. So uh, maybe in some sense, like it's going to be pretty rare to see three teams from the same league or even three teams in the sport that produce three draft picks. But I think there are a couple teams this year that will produce at least two pros and can meet these criteria. So first, Greg, I want to get your response to, to my claim that there could be up to eight teams that are great this year. Uh, and going off of that, who would be like your, your, your top pick or your top two picks for great teams? Okay. I love this contrarian viewpoint from you. Um, I want to be talked into it and I think I'm going to potentially be open to being talked into it right now. Coming into this conversation, I am still very much on the side of, I don't think there's a great team. I think there's a lot of good teams or uh, however you want, if you want to say no elite teams, some great teams, whatever, whatever the second tier is, there's a bunch of those, whatever the first tier is. I don't think there's any of those. Um, now I'm kind of going off last year for this. Because I think the the end results of last year led us to a point where we're like, well, there were no great teams. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the top of the sport this year is even less top-heavy than it was last year. Um, it might be deeper. Like, I think there might be 12 of whatever the top tier is this year compared to last year. There was like four. But to me, that almost makes the argument against there being this echelon of the best. Um, now the ones that I think are in the conversation for the criteria you threw out, like win the conference by multiple games, believe they can win the national title, have a pro on paper, I think would be a lot of the big name programs this year, except for one thing I want to run by you. It would be like Houston. It would be Arizona. It would be Purdue. It would be Yukon. I could be talked into Duke in North Carolina. And then outside of that, I think it gets trickier other than Kentucky. Kentucky's definitely around. So I would say there's seven I can believe in in that way. With that said, you had it at eight, so I'm missing one. And of those seven I just went through, I think the first three I named don't have a pro. As we're talking through it right now, I don't think Houston, Arizona, or Purdue have a pro. Hmm. Purdue has Zach Eady, who Jonathan Gavoni is projecting as a lottery pick. Fair. But do we and really believe him, though? I don't believe that Givoni is a uh, that. Uh, I don't believe that Edie's going to be a lottery pick, but I think he's. I don't see how he does, he's not a first round pick in a really weak draft class. Okay, that's fair. I look. I believe Edie's going to be a long time NBA player. Um, so maybe I should define him as a non NBA player. That's fair. But Houston was on the lower end of my my elite teams. Um, and I I don't want to like fall into just thinking like they're going to trip up because they're in the big 12 or be reactionary to them literally losing their first game. Um, however, their strength of schedule hasn't been great in the non-conference. And I, I don't really like that. They lost their first big, big 12 game and shout out to Tristan. Tristan said, West Virginia doesn't count, which I agree with. Uh, <laughs> like that, that doesn't exactly fill me with the warm and fuzzies that they just lost to, you know, Mr. Schmedium Polo himself, TJ Otzelberger, like, Great coach, Oz. That's not meant as a knock. I just have to have to at least hail on the appearance a little bit. But yeah, I'm not not feeling great that they just lost their first away game in this this step up. I think the teams that immediately came to my mind that I would classify as great, like Arizona, Purdue, UConn, are sort of in their own tier in my mind. Then right below them, I would put Kentucky, Carolina. Uh, the most controversial one I would say is probably Kansas because. You know, they just lost to UCF, but at the, at the end of the day, like their resume is awesome. And I know that the, the metrics don't love them. They're 13 and two and ranked 19th on Kimpom, which is insane to me. Like that's kind of like, I don't know if we'll ever see that again, a Kansas team that starts out 13 and two through the first half of the season. That's, that's that low metric wise. But again, I just, if, I feel like you look at their wins and how they tend to elevate them their, themselves in big games, uh, and even how they win close games, because Bill Self is still the best coach in the sport. Like, I think 
I want to put them in the conversation. I believe Duke has a chance to be one of those great teams that was seven, and then Houston was the eighth, sort of uh, the lowest. I know highest on Kim Palm, but lowest in my mind for like, can they meet these great team criteria? Rapid fire me the eight again, just so I have them all fresh again. Arizona, Purdue, yep. UConn. Yep. Kentucky, North Carolina. Yep. Kansas. Yep. Duke. Duke, Houston. Okay. No Marquette. Definitely not. Marquette's losing to everybody with a pulse like for the past month. No Baylor. Got a pro. Uh, just don't trust the defense, man. Okay. Fair. No Tennessee. Curse of Rick Barnes until they prove it otherwise. I really like this Tennessee team. I think they're really, really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year where Barnes gets over the hump, gets to the second and final four. Um, but yeah, I just like I don't think their ceiling is as high as those other eight. Do we think Connect's a pro now that we're talking through this? For sure. I would consider yeah. him their best. Like I, I I would consider him another guy that's like, I don't see how he's not a first rounder in this week class. Yeah. I hope he ends up in a good spot because I would love to see like instant 16 points a game from him somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um okay. I th- I like your list. I don't hate your list. Um on Kansas quickly. 13 and 2, 19th on Ken Palm. Uh, you said something to the extent of when's the next time we'll see a resume like that be that low. Mm-hmm. Let me add to the conversation that Oklahoma is 13 and 2 in the same conference, one spot below Kansas. And I don't think any of us would complain about that because it's Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we put this exact Kansas team with this exact Kansas resume in different jerseys with a different logo, are we really doing this? I think so. When you look at the fact that they beat Tennessee and beat UConn, I know the UConn one was in Bog Allen, and I know that they've like they looked pretty mid against Indiana. They looked pretty mid against Yale, and they looked pretty mid against Missouri, and they obviously looked bad against UCF. Uh, oh, and they got they got that Kentucky one on a neutral too. I think that's what separates them from Oklahoma is the Kentucky on a neutral, Tennessee on a neutral, UConn at home. They start El Marco Jackson. <laughs> like, hey, I, I've seen. <laughs> I've seen some like random dudes on draft Twitter who have El Marco a lottery pick. I don't agree, but uh, uh, uh. Um, <laughs> but their pro is obviously McCuller. McCuller's going to be McCuller might be a lottery pick. No, maybe oh. that's a bridge too far. But look at what Jaime like. You're telling me that Jaime Jaquez is doing what he's doing for the Heat. That if McCuller gets drafted by like the Heat or the Warriors or like what TJD's doing. You're, you're telling me you don't think McCuller can do something like that if he goes no. to a good organization? What's, what's Jalen Wilson doing in the league right now? Genuine question. I don't know. Okay, fair question. I, I have no <laughs> idea. But I, <laughs> but McCuller can shoot and defend better. Ah, okay, fair. Look, McCuller's awesome. I, uh, with the pro, I'm so a little surprised pros is part of your criteria for this. I don't dislike that it is. I think like the only time I really – think about needing pros in the college game is when um it gets to march i think it was titus years ago who had like a you need an nba guard yeah. and i i like that more uh-huh. than i just like you need a pro but i don't even know that it's necessarily true i mean i guess it was last year with yukon and hawkins but um i think it's more just you need one really really talented dude somewhere and back to my thing it's like i i don't think houston has a pro Arizona, someone will end up getting there, even if they're not like a high draft pick, but we don't know who it is. Purdue, it's Edie or bust, but like I, I don't believe in Purdue less because they don't have like a an NBA starter on the team. So right. it's, I don't know, it's in a weird spot for the sport, man, because all these teams are great and qualify in your group, but I do still feel like they all have massive holes. Like I, I think we could go through all eight of the teams you mentioned and point to a very real, very specific thing that is bad about that basketball team, which I don't think has been the case with at least one to two elite teams for most of the last two decades. Mm-hmm. That's a fair pushback. And I will say, I think like part of the the reason why this narrative exists is because people are expecting there to still be these squads that like play in a power five league and lose four games or less all season. Like those great Ohio state teams or like, I mean, of course I think about the great Carolina teams of the late two thousands. Um, even that Baylor team that won it in 21, which I would say very much meets the elite criteria, uh, elite team criteria. They lost two games, but at the same time, like, 
in a normal year, maybe where there's where there's not COVID and restrictions on arenas, maybe they lose a couple more. Um, yeah, I just think that like we're not gonna see these those teams that are where you have pros staying multiple years like we did in the late two thousands. Um, so I, I and in some sense you like recalibrate what you see, but um, even with like the holes, like if you look at that that Gonzaga and that Baylor team from twenty twenty one, the teams that were lost to combine three games all year, like could you find holes in either of those teams? Because I would say they both meet – they both were elite teams. With Baylor, it's tough to find any holes on that roster. Gonzaga obviously had the Timmy defense conundrum, but – Yeah, and even like – Timmy was so good offensively, I wouldn't even like consider the defense a serious issue. Baylor mm-hmm. – Baylor, honestly, man, if I'm going through my last 20 years, Baylor's like my perfect basketball team on paper. I love that team so much. And they had like, they didn't have a great big, but they had physicality and toughness down low. They had shooting off the bench and shooting Mm -hmm. and size off the bench. They just had dynamic ball handlers and unselfishness in the backcourt. But like, I don't know. I just, that's not to say none of these teams are great, but like Purdue, we still don't rust them like it's just between the ears and maybe physicality at the guard spot and what do you do if they tuck their tail when you triple team Edie? um arizona i still i know their defense rates out elite in in all Mm -hmm. the analytics sites i don't trust their defense at all away from home like if you go through all their home games they've held teams under 60 like seven times this year but then every time they've been on a neutral or just out of that gym they're giving up in the 80s every single game so i look they play fast it's not like even giving up 80 points means they're bad defensively but um it's just I, to me that's a big point of skepticism for me houston mm-hmm. i don't believe in the talent of this team even though they're number yeah. one like i just i'm out on a team who jamal sheds your best player um I think you could go down the list of the others and it gets more obvious. Like what's North Carolina's weakness? The one thing I'd say with Carolina is just the lack of athleticism overall as a team. That's yeah. the biggest hole on the the roster. Um, I would really say the only like <laughs> plus athletes are Elliot Cadeau. And I mean, his vert's really high, but he lacks length to to sort of maximize it. Um, and then kind of that, I mean, Zayden High and James Aconquo are both bouncy, but Aconquo can't get on the floor. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's that's their biggest. I guess Seth Trimble. Seth Trimble's a really good athlete. But yeah, they they definitely, they largely lack athleticism both on the wing and in the front court. Okay, yeah. Duke's weakness is the big four-letter S word that I still believe they are, no matter how much they beat up on Pittsburgh with. Um, Kentucky, I think rebounding has been an issue at times, especially they never generate second chance opportunities at all. And I don't think their defense is that good and they're inexperienced. And I still love that team, but um, there's stuff you can point to. Kansas has four players, max, sometimes three, sometimes two. And I'm forgetting who's your eighth. Who's the one we missed? UConn? Yeah, UConn. Clinging's foot. Yeah, Clinging's <laughs> foot. That's it. So th- we basically just decided UConn's going to win the title again if they're healthy. <laughs> That's what we just did. Uh, last thing on this, only because you and I haven't been able to talk about it together and I want to dig at it more. Um, of everybody you named, I think the team I'm willing to buy the most that I currently haven't up to date is your North Carolina Tar Heels. I think there's an argument that this team is the best team in the country right now. Do you think that's crazy or not? Uh, best might be a bridge too far. I would say like top three ish. I think they're playing just as well as Purdue, UConn and Arizona, which, uh, the fact that they've been they've won three games in a row ugly through ugly tough gritty basketball and played really good defense. I get the three point shooting numbers that they could be in for some regression there as, as in the on the defensive side of things. At the same time, a three game sample size, uh, two of those three, Pitt and Clemson, were both like just lighting. They were lighting it up from deep going into those games. Um, they've made some adjustments. They are really good at denying the post inside, like whether it's Armando or someone else, like they wouldn't let DJ get Burns, get the ball half the half the game against NC state. Uh, Armando shut off the water on PJ hall. Like they're, They've been really good at taking away the basket, which I think forces teams, even if they get like a, a step in three, they're they still like opponents have still looked out of rhythm. Um, now you see some of the lack of length where some of the good shots that NC state got against UNC, 
uh, was on long closeouts from Elliot Cadeau. And I think he has improved a ton defensively from the start of the year. He's been really good on ball and playing pretty connected, but uh, just, that's just one specific example where you see sort of the lack of length, the lack of athleticism on this Carolina team um, lead to some open shots. But yeah, as a whole, I think you, you gotta be super encouraged by the defense. Um, I just hope that like once they, they get back home for a couple of games, the offense wakes up a little bit because offense hasn't been great these past three weeks or the past three games, even amid the road wins. Okay. Yeah. I just, I still can't believe the ACC schedule makers gave them three straight road games and North Carolina is just like, yeah, don't care. Double digit coasting victories like that. No team in the country is going to do that. And I know they haven't beaten world beaters in that stretch. Clemson, I think there's a lot more to be skeptical of now than there was two weeks ago. Pitt doesn't mm-hmm. look like a, a flirty little bubble team anymore. NC State, mm-hmm. I, Carter and I talked about it. I could, I'm very out on everything NC State after the way they melted down in the second half. But still, you got to give credit where credit is due. And uh, just honestly, we talk body language stuff so much when it's negative with teams. This team has so much positive there. Like they just mash so well and they're smart and they love each other and you're skilled. I'm jealous. <laughs> they really do. I think like there was a photo after the Clemson game where like Harrison Ingram threw his arm around RJ Davis and they just had the biggest smiles on their faces where it's like, I mean, Harrison hasn't, hasn't experienced winning like this in his college career. RJ's obviously coming off the most disappointing season in school history. You can tell there's so much joy there. Um, I love that you brought up the road wins because uh, yeah, this narrative that's being prompted about no great teams is largely due to good teams losing on the road. It's pretty freaking sick to cheer for a team that doesn't lose on the road. I'll end with that. We can move on to the next topic. Amen to that, my friend. All right, let's talk some NFL. Um, You know what? We should probably go in order of the games themselves here, which means that we are going to begin by talking about your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, they're taking on the Philadelphia Eagles, Riley, who look like a much different team now than they did maybe two months ago, maybe a month ago, maybe even a week ago. I don't know. I don't know what's happened with Philly. It seems like they've melted down a little bit. Um, There's been rumors of players-only meetings. There's been rumors of A.J. Brown being a locker room cancer you know my ears perk up when I hear there's drama going on in the locker room. But uh, you, at the beginning of the year, you came to Carter and I, and you said, word for word, well, my Bucks, there, there's nothing here this year. I'm officially a Lions fan. And now you find yourselves in the NFC wildcard, just as our Detroit Lions do. The people need to know, are you a Bucks fan or are you a Lions fan this weekend? I've been a Bucks fan again since, like, they, they blew out the Saints in week three. Okay. When, when, <laughs> that was what blew me back in. I will say since then, I literally oscillated. How do you like that word? Oscillated back and forth probably like 40 times, uh, whether or not I just wanted them to win this terrible division or tank for a quarterback. And eventually I got to a point when they beat the Packers, I was like, all right, we might as well just win this like awful division. Uh so honestly, yeah, I'm I'm feeling about as good as I can considering Baker Mayfield is my quarterback and Todd Bowles is my coach. <laughs> Which one of those two things concerns you more? Uh, Bowles. Actually, no, Bowles has been good recently. He's been a lot more aggressive. Um, and the the offense, our, our, our offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, came over from Seattle this past year. And he helped Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield have career years, which is pretty special. So, um, yeah, I, I would be feeling better if I thought Baker was healthy. He looked really, really bad against the Panthers. And I know what the numbers say, like the, the numbers are hilarious about the Panthers that their like past defense was kind of good this year. And that it was really their rush defense. That was just awful when really it was like the past numbers were low because teams could run on them. Um, so that's where I would say like, yeah, Baker did not inspire confidence in his really the last two games, both against the saints and the Panthers um, missed Mike Evans on a, what would have been like a walk in touchdown uh, in Carolina so hopefully, you know, it's a Monday night game. Maybe an extra day to recover uh, helps his – I think it's both his shoulder and the lower body issue. Because, um, yeah, if he if he can be back to what he looked like against both the Packers and the Jaguars leading up to those last two games, I would feel really confident that, that the Bucks get the win. I mean, because the Eagles have looked awful, and it's in Tampa. Mm, interesting. Spicy. I just realized I got it wrong, too. I thought this game was the Sunday afternoon game, not the Monday game. So I completely, yeah. completely led that in wrong. Um, So, okay, here, here's where my head is at. Bucks have won five of six. Did it look pretty down the stretch? No. The Eagles have lost two straight. 
to teams that I think were trying to lose. I mean, maybe not. The Giants looked like they were up for that final game, but like, I don't think Arizona wanted to win the game that they won against <laughs> Philly. And it, it takes a lot to lose a game like that. Uh, Kyler Murray kind of went crazy, but it just, it's a football team who like, you know, could just flip a switch and win the Super Bowl in yeah. Philly. Like I'm, I'm never going to doubt Jalen Hurts like that after the run they made last year through the NFC. But I just, it feels like something is so off with this group right now. And I do think like, no matter what our concerns are with Baker, I think he's the quarterback who could take advantage of a team like that. Like, isn't he kind mm-hmm. of a big game guy? Yeah. And I, I think again, like that, that Eagle secondary, the whole defense has been awful since Matt Patricia assumed whatever role he did. Yeah. They're not really getting to the quarterback. The secondary is vulnerable. And again, like Baker's two best games were against very similar defenses that have just been in shambles with like the the Packers and the Jaguars, who I already mentioned. And on the other side, I don't think anybody really knows how good the Bucks D line is. Um, they have two rookies, Kalijah Cansey out of Pitt, who uh, has been a he's, he might not be the flashiest player, but he's really fast, can collapse the pocket. They have Vita Vea, who's just like a 350 pound monster who's super mobile and can shut down the run as well and they have this rookie yaya diaby who played at louisville did you ever watch him there i remember the name for sure um i do not remember any specific moment that i watched him though yeah he's i can't i really remember him at louisville either but he wears number zero and he has seven and a half sacks on the season which leads all rookies uh and then you still have shaq barrett on the other side at like on, on the other edge who you know, he slowed down a little bit. He's getting a little bit older, but he's he's a he's been there before. He has two Super Bowl rings and has upped his game in the playoffs the past three years. Yeah. Yeah. I huh. this is the most toss up game to me of wildcard weekend. Um you could tell me this is a Bucks blowout, and I would believe you because all signs point to Philly being in shambles and they're on the road. You could tell me this is a Philly blowout, and I would believe you because at their best, I think they're the best team in the NFC uh, other than San Francisco. But I still think if, if both teams played their A++ game, I think I would trust the Eagles, as crazy as that sounds. It's kind of crazy. Well, is it though? <laughs> is it though? Because like AJ Brown hasn't been that guy in like a month, dude. I was. I know, but – the A plus plus game assumes that he is. I guess that's fair. I just don't see. I like. Same I mean, the Niners Stephon smoked Diggs. Philly. Like, the Niners smoked Philly forty two nineteen this season. So it's probably fair to say San Fran's the best team. But there was a stretch before that game. Like Philly's schedule was loaded. Man, they had to play mm-hmm. Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo back to back to back. They go three and zero in that span. Uh, they blew out the E or the Dolphins two weeks before that. And then yeah, they get blown that. out by San Francisco. So, like, I just mm-hmm. I feel like we've seen this team be special against great teams this season already. But um, with that said, I think all signs point to implosion from Philly. And I'm taking your Tampa Bay Bucks to win this game outright. What is your prediction, Riley? Oh gosh, man. I like don't I think the Bucks get it done too. I just think it's gonna be ugly. I think it's gonna be like a even with the, maybe now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like. I just said all this stuff about how bad the Eagles defense is. My my gut was going to be for, like the Bucks to win 17 to 14 or something, but uh, I'll go like 24-17 for the Bucks. I think they get it done by a touchdown and the the defense comes up clutch. Jalen Hurts with the finger issue, maybe throws a pick to my guy Antoine Winfield, best safety in the league, uh who just causes havoc every single drive. Love that dude. Um so yeah, I'm going to roll with my Bucks. Okay. Yeah. Plus three. You're catching points with Tampa. Uh, For the record, I think you're going to be down three points with two minutes left in this game. I think Baker Mayfield legacy drive. And I think Mike Evans is the story of this game. I think like 150 Mm. yards, two touchdowns for Mikey in this one. Give me the bucks. Um, Incredible. Let's move to my team. The Detroit Lions are at home hosting our well, I should be careful how I say this. Some Lions fans will get mad at me. My hero, Riley, my personal sports hero is John Matthew Stafford. I love this man. He's my everything. Since the moment I laid eyes on him and he had the same haircut that I had in high school and he mm-hmm. had the bleach blonde college girlfriend and he was at the frat party with three different cups of Bud Light all in his hand at once 
and he just put up numbers, Riley. Numbers, I tell you. He took us to the playoffs. He made, well, he didn't make Calvin Johnson a star, but he unlocked Calvin Johnson. And then when Calvin Johnson said, you know what, I hate football, I'm tired, screw you, Detroit, Matt Stafford put his head down, went to work while his wife had brain cancer and led us to the playoffs. All he is is a hero to me individually. He redefined my dreams, Riley. And then we sent him out. We sent him astray. And we said, Matt, go be great without us. We failed you. We failed you, Matthew. Go be yourself. And you know what he did? Riley Jerome Davis, he went straight to the West Coast. He went to California. He got the sun. He got the, the rays of light upon him. He won a Super Bowl in like three months because he's that good is what he is. And now, now he's the first boss, not even the final boss. He's the first boss for my Detroit Lions in our first home playoff game since I've been alive. I've spent all week trying to process this, and I can't, Riley. But uh, before I throw it to you, I just want you to know one thing. I'm going to be in the building, baby. I will be oh, in the go. building. I will be in the building. Riley, uh, what what should I be afraid of in this game? Tyron Williams, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup. Ah. <laughs> I think, like, what what as I was thinking about this, though, with – um. You know, with why I kind of like the Lions in this game, I think I think the Rams are really good. It's not a knock on them at all. But you always hear the cliche like, oh, teams that can run the ball, they win in January. Uh, the Lions can do just that. I mean, Jameer Gibbs has been awesome the second half of the season, and they still have another dude to compound the rock and David Montgomery. The, the only counter I would say to that, like, does it matter as much when you play in a dome? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't should when you consider teams are worn down. But, yeah, what's, what's your take? I think it still matters, not as much as like, okay, it's a snow game and everybody's just like, like their joints hurt. <laughs> We're just going to run it 40 times. That's different, right? And uh, honestly, like, you know, it, it this doesn't apply to this game whatsoever, but like a team from Detroit that was used to playing in the snow would be a huge advantage over a team from LA who is like, what the hell's right. happening? And we're throwing two backs. Right. That's not going to happen in this game. With that said, I can tell you, I mean, I'm sure all home playoff games are crazy. I can tell you from personal experience from three days ago, this place is going to be insane. Like, I, I haven't been to a louder sporting event than the final regular season game this past week. It was just a celebration. It was a coronation of sorts. When I say this, this is not exaggeration, man. Like, I, I'm a fan of a lot of different teams, as are you. We all have different reasons for things. Um, there is just no – fan base there's no franchise i can think of that deserves a winner more than this franchise like this is a franchise that even before i was alive was they were gifted a generational player who just retired in his prime and mm -hmm. we all had to accept that and still worship the guy and then we were gifted another generational player who retired in his prime and then beefed with the front office like that that doesn't even happen in sports. And it happened to the two best players in Lions franchise history. And it's why I hold Stafford in such dear regard, because that man battled and got us closer than any person I'd ever seen until Dan Campbell came into my life. And that man's a maniac. He is 100% real. Like it's, there's no shtick involved with that man. He's mm -hmm. dead ass serious. And it's powerful, man. It's, it's truly powerful how he has a group of 30 year old guys behaving like they're high school freshmen. And believing in something again. And he has the whole city believing in it. And um, you can feel it. Like, you can feel it when you walk to the game. When you're at a bar an hour before the game. Like, this entire state is just so desperate. And wants to be a part of helping everybody get there. Jared Goff said it. It's like, I just want to help this city win. They're not talking about the team themselves. No, it's like, this city deserves one. So I think this is going to be the wildest home field advantage I've ever seen that I've ever been a part of. If last Sunday was any indication, it's going to be insanely loud. Um, I think it's going to be really weird for Matt too. Like Matt, it was a really amicable split. Like Matt didn't ask for a trade out. Um, the front office kind of came to him and was like, look, dude, we need to rebuild you're too good for this. Like, let's, let's do this. And Matt accepted it more than he wanted it. And I think it's been hard for him. It obviously wasn't hard when they won a Super Bowl, but I'm sure this year has been hard for him watching a team finally get over the top without him. And I'm sure he dreads the situation he's been put mm -hmm. in quite frankly, but um, 
I just don't I don't know. It's gonna be weirdly emotional and in a weird way, I think that could hurt Detroit. Like I, I think the fact that it is Matthew Stafford is gonna one be hanging over the whole game. And if Matthew Stafford comes out and hits Cooper Cup for an 80-yard touchdown on the first play of the game, I think that entire stadium's guts are going to be ripped out immediately. Hmm. Yeah, I think like this is sort of a you mentioned a Baker Mayfield legacy legacy moment. Uh, I think Stafford already has a good case for the Hall of Fame. Oh, he's there. He's there with all the. He's top five in so many things. He's there. He's mm-hmm. But like going to your old team in their building and beating them is sort of like a moment that kind of gets you over the top and leaves no doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would find a, a, a scary moment. You know, I think at the same time, you have this great Rams offense that exceeded expectations that, um, you know, really going into the year, this team looked like one that was in a, still in a terrible calorie set. I almost said calorie sap, terrible salary cap situation. Unless I'm mistaken, unless they got that figured out, I think they were still kind of in cap hell. Um, that a lot of people thought were going to be one of the the bottom dwellers in the NFC, and they they've gotten hot. They've figured it out. Uh, simultaneously, you have that uh, a Lions defense that kind of seems like they've been faltering as of late. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There, the the defense has definitely shown a lot more cracks recently. Yeah, at the same time, I I still feel like you y'all just have guys on that defense who are big time players or can come up with like clutch plays. Like I, I still think about that Vikings game and Grant, I know it was against Nick Mullins and the Vikings where you had what four interceptions and a couple more turnovers forced. And to me, this seems like a spot where um if the Lions do come out victorious, it's gonna I think it might be like a coronation of sorts for Brian Branch as as mm-hmm. one of those like next big name defensive backs. Because I think, you know, people who who follow the sport closely um, have heard that name, but safeties are barely ever even shown on TV, like hardly in the frame do you even get to see the safeties. But if he comes up with a couple of big plays in this one, it's sort of like announcing his presence. Like I- I'm here. I know I mentioned my Bucks rookies earlier. I think Brian Branch has a great opportunity here too. Hundred percent. He's been stellar this season. Also, um, he <laughs> the moment I'll I won't forget with Brian Branch. I, I forget where it was. Um, I don't think it was Kansas City. It was one of the earliest games of the season. But um, he was carted off, and then he just got off the cart and walked back onto the field <laughs> and like <laughs> subbed himself into the game ten minutes later. Like he he's been incredibly good um as have the entire rookie class for the lions so i like that call they're going to have their hands full the secondary i mean this is one of the best receiver rooms if not the best receiver room mm-hmm. in the league um with a great quarterback that is in a great offense like i i am not happy that i see Sean McVay right away in the playoffs i greatly wanted to see green bay in this spot and not la but is what it is um Chauncey Gardner Johnson's the other name I would throw out just quickly. He, uh, we ripped him from Philly, and he's a guy who obviously has Super Bowl experience, and he sort of assumed the leader role immediately this year. Gave the team a swagger. I think just personnel wise, they didn't have. He's the guy who introduced the ski masks early in the season. If you remember that little viral moment before they lost to Seattle, but he, uh, they had him in the. Uh, just in the locker room this week, they were like, is this the type of game that gets your juices going? Cause that's why they brought you here. And he looked at the reporter and he like shook his head in disgust and was like, you think they brought me here to make the playoffs? They brought me here to win a Super Bowl." And I was like, Oh shit. Like that's what we're on. Okay. And uh, I don't know. I, it's weird to say, I trust the guys in this locker room, but I do, I think Detroit's a more complete team on both sides. Um, I, I think whatever happens, I can live with, but I think they need to do everything in their power to win this game before the final two minutes. Because if it, if it comes down to a two-minute drill and the ball's in Matthew Stafford's hands, I don't think we want to see what happens, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, he would flip the script and have a Hall of Fame moment for sure. What were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to ask what your pick was because I think you're kind of spot on with that. Like if it's if it's a game where the Lions can score early, build build a lead, and just control the clock, run the ball with Gibbs and Montgomery, I think it bodes very – favorably for them um but if the rams strike first and the lions have to be catching up again like you mentioned that receiver room demarcus robinson's another dude who couldn't figure it out in kansas city but somehow has been unlocked uh in la which is crazy to me um then again maybe looking at kansas city's receiver room like maybe it's not this offensive oasis that we thought it was but uh yeah i i 
I still lean Lions, the home game, the emotion that you mentioned uh, about it. I think the Rams, their defense can be a little susceptible, and I, I like Detroit's ability to to have those two backs that they can sort of control the clock with. Okay, I like that pick, obviously. Um, one other thing we haven't mentioned which that we should, Sam Laporta is questionable for this game. The yeah, injury looks really, really bad last week when I was there. If he's unavailable, that's massive. Like he he is such an integral part of this offense that if he's not there and there's a replacement level tight end, it takes away an entire level of the dynamic nature of this team. I think he's going to try and give it a go. I don't think he's going to be nearly 100%. That's my personal conjecture on it. But mm-hmm. uh, just to note that, that that's a critical element of this. With that said, do you watch college football? Yes. Do you watch the national championship game this year? Indeed. So – you watched what I watched then, which was a team with a game manager quarterback that was a complete better team against a generational quarterback. And we kind of saw what happened. Like even the generational quarterback, not saying he he was bad, but mm-hmm. he was prone to make a couple mistakes. The defense hooped. It was a back and forth game. And you kept thinking, okay, here's the time the quarterback's going to make the play. Here's the time Penix is going to get over the top. Never happened. And then, then in the end, Michigan separated. I think that's the exact game script of this game. I think Detroit's going to come out like a ball of fire and jump on them and make a couple statement plays early. I think Detroit is the better team on both sides of the ball. Even though we're praising Matthew Stafford, I think they have a much more balanced, much more solid offense um, and can win however they need to in this game. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to get dicey. Like, I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk because it's Detroit and everyone's probably terrified of this. But in the end, I'm going to trust the more complete team to take care of business on both sides of the ball. I think they win by two scores and we avoid the entire what happens if Matthew Stafford has the ball with a chance to win conversation late. Uh, <laughs> all right. Good show today. Yeah, Let's man. Get to Let's get one big thing presented by Bigby. What do you got? Uh, you give one big thing first. I actually, I don't I have do one off the top of my head. I'll see if I can think of something. <laughs> I can do that. I'll, I'll buy you time. Um, so I got a massage today. And first off, I just want to acknowledge how bougie that is of me. Uh, mm. I did get it gifted to me for Christmas from my mother-in-law. Shout out Tammy, big avid listener of the sleeper show, big Riley Davis fan as well. Tammy is, um, but she, uh, yeah, she gifted me a 60 minute massage at Eve salon and spa in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It was a beautiful experience. I've had a couple couples massages before. This was my first ever solo massage. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling limber, but more importantly, Riley, I made a discovery. Things got really philosophical for me in that massage bed. Uh, about 20 minutes into the 60 minute massage, I started thinking about life. And I started thinking about my family and the things that matter and the people I love and who I want to be as a human and where where are my misses? What are my weaknesses? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? How can I be the best version of me every day? And I realized, Riley, I realized that life boils down to two big buckets. And this is this all happened in my head in 30 minutes while I'm getting my shoulders rubbed. Who you are, or no, sorry, what you are, and what you do. Those are the two big buckets. You are defined by what you are and what you do. And there's three subcategories in each bucket. And the key to life, Riley, is succeeding with a fully balanced diet, a fully balanced portfolio of checking all six of the subcategory boxes in what you are and what you do. And I had this discovery on the massage table. And that's my one big thing for today. Mm. I guess I'll build off of that and say I've had some <laughs> I've had some great <laughs> <laughs> some great philosophical moments when you're just getting rolled, like your back's getting rolled out, like your your dough and it's a rolling pin. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I love a good love a good massage. I love getting like the the sports massage where it's just like, yo, make this painful. I want to walk out of here. I like I want my back is so sore. Like I love doing some deadlifts before a massage. This is maybe sounding very meat heady, but I don't care. Uh, to like really maximize the soreness and then get it all rubbed out. But yeah, I feel like I've had some great um. I mean, you know, I'm a man of faith, some great conversations with God on the massage table. It's just just a great time of self-reflection. Uh, so I'll build off that as well and say foam rolling. Uh, if you don't have that as a part of your regular uh, routine, especially if you're active, make sure you work that in. Good foam rolling, good stretch session. Uh, I think I've sort of been doing a little New Year's resolution bit for my one big thing. So yeah, that's my tip today. Look up some good, good foam rolling exercises. 
It's good. Uh, this probably comes as no surprise to anybody. I've never foam rolled. Dude, I bet if you did that, you'd probably have more ankle flexibility, more <laughs> hip mobility, and you wouldn't just be a three-point specialist who can make the right read as a secondary playmaker. You might assume the role of a lead guard for your men's leagues. I don't want that. Or whatever that's, pickup games. That's way too much work. Be be elite in one role. Don't overextend yourself in 2024, that's Riley. That's where we're at. Uh, wait, quickly. Can I read you my subcategories? <laughs> I want to get philosophical. I started journaling, Riley. I came home and I wrote this all down in a journal. I'm a journaler now. Um, all right. All right. Mate, just make it quick because I have to hop on the pot as a roof. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Carabazos can wait. I'm giving you the keys to life. Mate. Uh, there's three subcategories, Riley. The subcategories for who you are or what you are are these. Be kind. Be great. And be there. Be there is a great one. Think about those three for a moment. Think about those three. And then for for what you do, it's – now I'm forgetting them. I need the journal. Do something hard. Do something for someone else. Do something you like. Mm. keys to life Good a perfect tips. balanced portfolio great way to end it from the massage chair at eve salon and spa go listen to the pot is the roof go listen to jacob carabazzos who uh won't call me back this week by the way that's riley davis i'm greg waddell we'll see you next week